0: About two years ago, we did a series called Do Something. And the, the series campaign, it was, a, it was a short-term campaign to develop a long-term partnership to help end extreme poverty. And we said, Let, you know, we can't do everything, but we can all do something to help end extreme poverty poverty. And many of you were part of the Do Something campaign where we gave up something good to participate in something great at the end of poverty. Some of you gave up coffee or chewing gum or you decided not to drive your car to work but instead ride your bike in order to bring some money into a pledge to end extreme poverty. And through that campaign, we developed some partnerships. You remember, it was a short-term campaign to develop a long-term partnership. And some of those partnerships that we developed were with Covenant Kids Congo, And now we have a great partnership with World Vision and other covenant churches to bring healing and hope to the children of Congo, particularly in the region of Gemina. And we also had a a job uh, focus with Africa Works to help provide jobs for people in Swaziland through chicken business. And we've also had a couple other opportunities to bring water filters to the uh, families of Kitangala, in Kenya through our connections with and our partnership with the Covenant Church in Kitangala. And we also have a partnership with Nairobi Chapel and the school Uzima, which means life, holistic life. And we've had the joy and privilege to come alongside Rose, who you saw in this video, as the primary leader of this ministry that's called Uzima or LIFE. And she felt a burden, a calling from God to start a school in the slum of Dandora so girls like the one we saw in the video could have a chance to get an education and to have a future. Because what happens in the slums is that the children are often left to sort of fend for themselves while the parents go out to try to find work. And so they'll play in some Uh, difficult areas or get contaminated with some challenging water and so Rose burdened by God says I'm going to start a preschool to help these children get an education and have a brighter future and so she connected with her church Nairobi Chapel and a number of years ago they started this preschool and then we have the privilege of coming alongside Rose and Nairobi Chapel to provide the spiritual needs as well as the educational and physical needs of about 50 and growing up to about 100 children in the slums of Nairobi. And so this morning, we have the privilege to continue to have this growing partnership as Pastor Oscar from Nairobi Chapel is here with us to bring God's word and to continue to build our friendship. Because like our founding fathers and mothers of the covenant church, we're more than just partners or associates or even members of the body of Christ. We're friends. We're mission friends. We're we're friends on mission to expand God's kingdom and his glory. We're friends that love, support, and encourage one another as we reach out to those that may not know Jesus or are in difficult, challenging situations. And this morning we get to hear from a friend. Pastor Oscar Murillo. I had the privilege of meeting Oscar about 15 years ago when my wife and I were living in Kenya and attending seminary. And I sat under his teachings at Nairobi Chapel, and I was inspired by his leadership. And he took a church of about 40 people, now reaching over 15,000 people, with 30 churches that have sprung out of Nairobi Chapel. He's a phenomenal leader. He's a great man of God, and he's a friend. He's a friend of mine. He's a friend of Janet Mutinda, who was here last week, and he's a friend of ours. Ours as in Maple Grove Covenant Church. He has a zoology degree from the University of Delhi in India. He has a master's degree from the African uh, International University. He's uh, about to speak in a couple weeks to about 177,000 leaders and pastors at the Willow Creek Leadership Summit. And he wanted to stop here to be with us, to grow our friendship and to continue this partnership not only for the sake of Uzima, but for the sake of the world and for the sake of us as a church to expand God's kingdom together. So I'm delighted to present to you Pastor Oscar. So let's just give Pastor Oscar Murillo a warm welcome to Maple Grove Covenant Church.
1: Thank you, Chad, and good morning, everyone. I just want to express my great joy of being here with you today. It's my first time here um, to Maple Grove, and uh, I have looked forward to the opportunity to come and fellowship with you because you have been a blessing to us. And what you are doing in supporting the work with Uzima, and uh, what Rose is doing has been a real blessing to the children, uh, some of whom you saw in the video uh, just a few minutes ago. And in blessing and choosing to love those children, You have loved us as an African people, and we can never say thank you enough for that. And your generosity, your commitment to that ministry has caused us to be generous in return to that ministry also, challenged by the fact that you so far away would reach out and love us and be generous towards us. Surely we must do likewise to our own people. And so I just want to thank you as a church for what you have done and are continuing to do. And so it was um, just with great joy that I anticipated coming over to this church, to Maple Grove, and um, with delight that I stand before you, having this opportunity to bless you from the word of our Lord. And so if you would turn with me now to the book of uh, Matthew. Our reading today comes from Matthew chapter 14, verse 16, 14 to 16, sorry. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 Through 16. You can tell I'm really nervous up here. (laughs) Okay, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through verse 16. This was our Lord speaking to his disciples, to you and I. And he said, This, you are the light of the world. And like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on its stand, where it gives light to everyone in the house. Then he went on to admonish them, let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of... uh, a railway crossing guard who had the duty of manning the crossing of the trains that would come through the course of the night across a bridge. And he would stop the one coming down the track so that the one coming up the tracks could cross the bridge first and then allow the other one to cross over. And this one night, at 2 a.m. in the morning, he was sitting in his little booth, um, you know, bored to death. When the phone rang. And he picked up the phone and on the other side of the phone was an urgent voice that cried out to him, stop the train, stop the train. And the man went on to say that the bridge, the bridge is not strong enough for the train that's coming down the track, stop the train. And even as he heard these urgent words, he could hear the train coming down the track. And so he slammed down the phone and he picked up his lamp and he ran out to the railway line and he waved the lamp and waved it back and forth to try and catch the attention of the train driver. But the train whooshed past him and did not stop. And it went on to the bridge and indeed the weight was too much and the bridge began to break up. The train with the bridge fell down into the crevice and many lives were lost that night. Well, the railroad company decided that it would sue this man for negligence of duty and hold him to court. And he pleaded his case in front of the magistrate and the jury. And with tears, he said, You know, I tried to stop the train. I tried to stop the train. I waved the lamp, but the driver did not stop. And finally, because they had no evidence otherwise, they acquitted him. But it is said that as he walked out, of that courtroom, there were tears streaming down his cheeks and he was heard mumbling under his breath, I waved the lamp, I waved the lamp, but the lamp was not lit. My dear friends, our Lord Jesus Christ tells us that you are the light of the world. And my question to us here today is, Is your lamp lit? Can the world see the fragrance of Christ in you? Can they see the spirit of God glowing from you? You are the light of the world, but is your lamp lit? You see, many people are like a lamp that has a wick and it has fuel, but it is not lit. For some, there was a time when the lamp burned brightly and all could see it and it drew it threw light into the dark room. But somehow, somewhere along the path, the trials of life, the temptations of life have come along and snuffed out the light. Is your lamp lit? For those men and women on that train that night, their greatest concern was whether the beds that they were going to sleep in were soft enough for a good night's rest. Their greatest concern was whether they would get food, quality food in the dining car. They had no clue that they were headed for destruction. And for us today, so many times through the course of the day, The greatest concern of the people we see around us is whether they will be able to meet their rent at the end of the month. Whether they can manage to fuel their car. Whether the products that they are buying are going to work the way they are supposed to work. They have no clue that they are headed for destruction. And God charges you and I. You are the lamp, the light of the world. And you see, my friends, sometimes we are waving our lamp, but for reasons the world cannot see it, especially when there is sin that is hidden in our lives. And we become like that train railroad guard, waving the lamp vigorously, speaking of Christ, trying to draw people to him, but the lamp is not on. When they look at us, what they see is the inconsistency. They call it hypocrisy. We can see you and we know the way you live and we know the values that drive you. And you talk about a God of grace, but we cannot see that in your life. And even though we wave the lamp so vigorously, the light is not on. And I stand here today before you to ask This question, is your light on? Satan will do anything to quench that light. Temptations and trials and hardships and tribulations, he will do anything to put out, to snuff out your light. And it may be you're here today and somewhere along the way, you made a wrong turn. And you found yourself struggling with addiction. Maybe with an adulterous relationship. Maybe addiction to drugs or to alcohol. Maybe even to pornography. And shame overwhelmed you. So that you could not, after failing in this battle, continue to come up to our Father in heaven. And one more time to ask His forgiveness. And the light dimmed and it's almost out. My dear friends, nothing quenches out our light faster than sin. When we embrace it and especially when we hide it in our lives and will not deal with it, hidden sin in our lives completely quenches our light and it is like Rot to the bones. It wears us down. It haunts us. And we live with a constant fear that one day, soon, someone will find out this that we are trying to hide. And when we talk to our friends, we wonder, do they know? Are they just being gracious and not speaking about it? But they know, they have heard, they have seen. And we live with fear. And I don't know what we're struggling with. But I challenge us that our lights must burn brightly for the sake of the world around us. Could it be that there is bitterness in your heart? Maybe even unforgiveness towards somebody that God has said, forgive. As your father in heaven has forgiven you. Maybe broken relationships. Because of unkind words that we spoke to a spouse, to a friend, to a workmate. And we hurt them. And we knew we were hurting them. And we took pleasure in hurting them. And it is wrong and it is sin. What is snuffing out your light? You know, I believe that few of us embrace sin and try and hide it in our lives because we want to. More often than not, I believe it's because we have come to believe the lies that sin whispers into our ear, the dark lies, the mutterings. And once we believe those lies, then it becomes easier to accommodate sin and to try and sweep it under the carpet and to try and hide it, thinking that no one sees. And there are three lies that sin likes to whisper more than any other. The first of those is what it whispers in our ear. It's a secret no one will ever find out. And so there we are at 1 a.m. in the morning and we're surfing sites on the web that we know we should not be, pornography, and we think no one will ever know. Let me tell you a story of a man who had just graduated from college, was looking for a job, And, you know, he was ready to go out into the workforce and uh, make his mark on on the world. And he, with his freshly minted degree, waited for a job, applied for jobs, but he could not find a job. And he looked and he looked and he applied and he went for interviews There just wasn't a job. And he began to become desperate. You know, I need to pay rent. I need to put food on the table. What am I going to do and he just could not find a job. In his desperation one day, he looked in the papers, and lo and behold, there was a job advertised at the local zoo. And he thought, you know, it's not in my area of discipline, but, you know, maybe it's a bridge job. I can do this for a while while I wait for the job. And so he went over to the zoo, and he put in his application. He was immediately ushered into a room and a committee was called together to interview him wow this is really quick and so he sat there and they interviewed him and they asked him questions you know how tall are you you know um how much do you weigh uh you know what 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 is the 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 length or rather the, the you know the the circumference of your girth and he's wondering to himself you know what does this have to do with anything and you know they they asked him all these questions none of which seemed relevant And after about a half hour of interview, they told him, sir, we're happy to let you know that you have the job. And he's thinking to himself, what, what, exactly what job is this that you've given me? And he asked them, you know, but yes, but what, what is the job? And none of them could look him in the eyes. They all looked down sheepishly, you know, shuffled their papers. And they said, well, you see, sir, you know, we've been looking for a gorilla all over the world. And we haven't been able to find one. And so what we want you to do is we want you to wear a gorilla suit, and we'll put you in a cage, and no one will ever know. And so he's oh man, you know, how's that for a career path? But you know, I'm desperate, I'm desperate, I need the job, I'll take the job. And so come Monday, he reports to work. And when he gets there, he gets dressed up in this gorilla suit. And he's told, you know, try and stay at the back of the cage. You know, the kids are right up here at the front. They really can't tell. Don't get too close to them. So, you know, just at the back of the cage, prance around like a gorilla and make gorilla sounds, you know, (laughs) and, you know, eat a few bananas. And, you know, it's not that big a deal. So he thought, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. So, you know, he begins to do this. And the kids, you know, here there's a gorilla in the zoo. They have got a gorilla finally. And they're all coming in truckloads. You know, the schools are bringing them. The kids love the gorilla. And he does this for three or four days, but it gets really boring. So he thinks to himself, man, you know, we need to add some life into this. And he thinks, ah, I used to do gymnastics when I was in elementary school. So let me try a few of those. And so he starts swinging on the bars, you know, back and forth. And, you know, he'd swing back and forth. And he'd let go of the bar and grab the next one. And the kids would squeal with joy at this gorilla, you know, and its antics. And, you know, he did this for a couple of days, but that got boring. So he thought to himself, okay... Let's, let's, let's add a little spice into this. And so he'd now swing back and forth, and he'd let go of the bar, and he'd twirl in the air and grab the next bar. And you know, the kids really like this. The numbers were growing. So he began to become more adventurous. He'd twirl twice and grab the bar. One time, trying to impress the kids, he decided, I'm going to go for Three. And so he twirled once, twice, three times. He missed the bar and he went over the edge of the cage into the next cage. And you know, after he sort of gathered his senses and looked around, he realized he was in the lion's cage. And he began to scream, help me, help me, please. Somebody help me, help me, help me. And you know, the lion that was lying in the corner there put up its head and turned around and looked at him. And it stood up, and it began to come slowly, menacingly towards him. And you know, he's sweating, he's pleading, he's mumbling, he's crying, somebody. somebody! And the lamb comes right up to him, close to him, the huge head next to his neck. He can feel the hot breath, and he told him, shut up, or we both lose our jobs. my dear friends you can hide some of the time you can fool most people most of the time but the truth will find you out and you cannot hide sin forever you see when satan whispers in your ear that it's a secret no one will ever know it's a lie There is nothing like a secret. Let me say that again. There is nothing like a secret. Because even the secret, the act that we do, where no human eyes see what we do, there are always three who see. And the first of those is God himself. In Psalm chapter 139, Verse, one, verse 11 through 12, it says, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, O Lord. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. 1 a.m. in the night, and we think this is a secret— We're in an affair, and we think nobody knows. God sees because there is nothing like a secret. And it brings great sorrow to his heart. He's a gracious God, and if only we would confess our sin, he promises us in 1 John that he will forgive us and cleanse us from all impurity. But if we insist and persist on hiding it and we will not deal with it, then I want to say to us today, God will do whatever it takes to bring us back to the place of righteousness. Even if it means that he must expose you. How do you think King David having sinned with Bathsheba, working so hard to, f- to hide his sin, to disguise it, was finally exposed. Except that God went to Nathan the prophet and told him, Nathan, go and confront David. Nathan didn't know what was going on except that God revealed it to him. And God in his love and his mercy towards us will reveal and expose our sin if it's the only way that he will get us to confess it and deal with it. And the truth be told, for many of us, ultimately the only thing that causes us to confess that sin is because we have been exposed. Will you wait until that time? When I was in high school, I imagined that I was the next Einstein waiting to be discovered. This is a high school boy's dream, okay? And I pictured myself to be a great scientist in the making, about to be unveiled to the world. And you know, we used to do these experiments in the chemistry lab that I found pretty boring because they were so safe and contained and etc. And I didn't want that. I wanted to make my mark. And so I wanted you know to do those experiments where you take this red substance over here and you mix it with this blue liquid over here and it goes boom you know that's what's going to make my mark on the world and so I began to equip myself with a laboratory at home courtesy of the school even though they didn't know it and I would pinch I would steal substances I would steal equipment from the chemistry lab. I had a Petri dish, I had a Bunsen burner, you know, I had containers and test tubes and, you know, uh, all these different things that you use in the chemistry lab. And this one day, we were working with phosphorus. If you know phosphorus, it's called a substance that spontaneously combusts. In other words, phosphorus is always kept in oil so that it does not come into contact with air because when it does, it spontaneously reacts with the oxygen in the air and bursts into a flame and burns. And so you have to keep it in oil. And I thought to myself, this is exactly the sort of chemical I need for my laboratory. Imagine what I could do with this thing. And so when they pass around the little you know, um, beaker with all the pieces of phosphorus and oil inside we were supposed to take our tweezers and take a little piece, you know, cut it up, put it in a sealed test tube and, you know, burn it and then weigh the substance that comes out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I thought to myself, I need some of this for home. So I put my tweezers in the bottle, okay, and I looked around for the biggest piece and I found, you know, the, the, big, the biggest piece in there pinched it with my tweezers, pulled it out of the bottle, took out my handkerchief, and I I quickly put it in the middle of my handkerchief, and then put it back in in my pocket. And I thought, got it. And then I went on to do my little experiment up here, and I passed the bottle on. Nobody saw what I did. And as I was working on my little experiment over here, I all of a sudden had, you know, the sense of a warm sensation down here. And I looked down, and my pocket was on fire. It was burning, it was a flame, and I tried to, you know, beat it down, but phosphorus doesn't burn out that way. And I couldn't stop it, and so I reached for a beaker of liquid and dosed my my pocket with it to put out the phosphorus. I had forgotten we were using dilute sulfuric acid. This was not water, and so now I'm burning from the phosphorus, and the acid is eating away my trousers before my eyes and my skin, And I didn't know what to do. By this time, you know, I'm whimpering at the back of the class. I'm burning. And I had to take my trousers off and dunk them into the sink. And everybody in the class is asking, what's going on? You know, what's all that commotion at the back of the class? My friends, God exposed me. (laughs) And he will expose you if you insist on hiding sin. There is nothing like a secret sin. But there is another who sees. And this is Satan himself. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And as we sin, he gleefully rejoices in what we have done. And because he's the accuser of the brethren, he goes up into the presence of God and he says, look at him, look at him. This is who you died for. And he accuses us before our father in heaven. Like he did Job. And then he comes down and he accuses us before our friends. And he will expose you to shame God by what you have done. And accuse you before your friends. This is our leader. And this is how he lives. Look at what he's done. Can we believe his message? He will accuse you. But as though it's not enough, this accuser of the brethren will accuse you before yourself. What sort of Christian are you? What's the point of going on professing faith? Look at what you've done. God failed you. Give up. It doesn't work. Throw it away. And he will accuse you before yourself. Now, the Bible talks about guilt. And there is a thing like God's guilt. And the Bible says that God's guilt, conviction, leads to righteousness and to repentance. It's good because it restores that which is pure. But there is something called false guilt. Satan's guilt leads to despair and brokenness and giving up. And in the case of Judas, even to suicide. And Satan will lump on his false guilt to break you. There is nothing like a secret. The Bible even tells us that there is a third who sees. Because it talks about God's ministering angels who have been given charge to watch over you. And yes, at that 2 a.m. in this little motel that nobody knows that you're with somebody else. The angels see that, and they cover their eyes with grief and with shame, that you would do this to the name of the Lord and believe that it is a secret. There is nothing like a secret. But this is Satan's first lie. There is a second. The second common lie is when he says to you, it's okay. You can deal with this. It's just a little thing. You know, don't get hung up on it. You can deal with it any time, you can quit, you can stop any time you want to. But let me tell you, if you were to take a thread, one of these that we sew our buttons on with, and you were to wrap it around, say, your two middle fingers, you could easily, having wrapped it round one, snap that thread. It doesn't threaten you, it doesn't bind you, it's just a little wee cotton thread. And if you would wrap it twice, you could still snap it. Three times you can still snap it. Four times, six times, ten times, and it's harder to snap. A hundred times, three hundred times, nine hundred times. That innocent little thread has become a rope of bondage that you cannot break free from. That little seemingly innocent sin that Satan tells you you can easily walk away from, becomes a habit of bondage that you cannot break. And so when he says it's okay, don't get hung up on it, it's just a little thing. It's a lie. And it will bind you and addict you so that you cannot escape it. In the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 writes and says, Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles that seemingly little innocent sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Do not be fooled. Sin is sin and it will destroy you. The third lie of Satan is when he comes and says, come on, it's just a little innocent pleasure. I mean, everybody's doing it. Don't get so hang up. You know, let it go. Enjoy yourself. Ah, my friends. The Eskimos, the Inuits, up in the Antarctica, have a way that they deal with wolves that prey on their, on their livestock, their sheep and other, you know, livestock. And what they do is, they take a blade, double-edged blade, and they sharpen it and hone it on two sides until it becomes razor sharp. And they sharpen it until it can cut a thread of paper. And then they take one of their sheep and they collect, they slaughter the sheep and collect the blood. And they coat it with a brush on their blade. And they put a second coat and let it freeze over. And they put another coat and let it freeze over. And it grows and it becomes a lollipop of blood. And then they stick it in the ground. Now the wolves are, you know, they have a very keen sense of smell. And so from five miles out, they can smell the fresh blood. And they will find this lollipop. And when they come up to it, they lick it. And it's cold and it's frozen but it's fresh. And they lick it again and they keep licking. And they're insatiated with the taste of this fresh blood. And before they know it, the blood is warm and it's flowing and it's plentiful. And what they don't realize is that they have shredded their tongues to ribbons. And they bleed out. This is the character of sin. Seemingly innocent. Innocent. But listen to what uh, the book of Proverbs, chapter 5 and verse 3 says. For the lips of an adulteress. Let, Let me read this, I think, the way that it should be read because of the content that we're dealing with here, okay? For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as gull, as sharp as a double-edged sword, and her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Sin always promises you one thing, but delivers the opposite. It promises you untold joy, titillating pleasures. It delivers profound brokenness and sorrow and shame and loss, and broken families, and broken marriages, and unfulfilled dreams. It always promises you the world, but it delivers death. And when you count the cost that you eventually pay, it is never worth it. And so let me conclude You are the light of the world. But is your lamp lit? I want us to spend a moment in quiet reflection and prayer as I come to the close of my message. And I want to believe that the Spirit of God who is present here with us has been speaking to you even as I have spoken. That for some of us, he has brought to mind An old sin that we never dealt with. We swept it under the carpet and pretended that God doesn't really mind. But we never confessed it. We never dealt with it. And it's there. It's festering. It's rotten. It smells. It stinks. But we pretend that it doesn't exist. For others of us, this is real. This is fresh. We're involved in something right now that we've covered up. Pretty good in our thinking, but God sees it. And his spirit has been convicting you even as I speak. You've been unfaithful. You have done that which is wrong. You think you've hidden it, but you are living in sin. And God sees it. And he's brought it to mind. Maybe it's a relationship with a workmate that we have hurt. And said mean things, spoken behind their back, and cut them up, and won't deal with it. And God says, This is wrong, what you have done. Go and confess and ask for forgiveness. And we have refused to listen to the voice of God. Can I give us a moment, just a few seconds of quiet and peace? What does God bring? mind even as I speak and then I want to lead us in prayer and I want to ask you to have the courage to say Lord you spoke to me so clearly you don't need to say this again I will deal with this thing would you bow your heads for a few moments of quiet Father, the Bible says that your word does not return void, but accomplishes the purpose for which it was set. Today you have chosen to bring this matter of hidden sin to the surface. And we want to believe by faith that your word has accomplished its purpose. That there are those here, Lord Jesus, who just know this was a word for me. I almost even didn't come to church today. But my goodness, God has found me out. And we cannot ignore it. Could I ask that you would display courage if somehow God has spoken deeply into your life? Display courage to just raise a hand and say, Lord, here am I. And by raising that hand, I'm saying, Lord, I hear you, and I want to deal with this. Would you give me the strength? Because in the book of 1 John, chapter 1 and verse 9, you say that you are faithful and just to forgive those who confess their sin and to restore them. And I'm here and I need your help. Would you have the courage to just raise a hand? I don't need to see it. The others around you don't need to see it. This is between you and God. And he sees that hand and he's able to heal Father would you see those who have raised up their hand and confess even publicly I need help Lord I hear you I want to walk away from this thing give me the strength give me the courage even today to make that call and to say it's over to make that call and go to my spouse and say please forgive me I've hurt you And I did it meanfully. Please forgive me. Would you, Father, just lead us and restore us? Thank you for your cross and what Jesus has done for us. May our lights shine brightly. For the world needs to see and to hear the message of Christ. And our actions and our words need to be consistent. Help us, Lord, we pray. I want to invite you, if you're dealing with something that you feel has just completely overwhelmed you and it has become bondage, would you have the courage to come up to one of the pastors, maybe to some of the prayer counselors, and just ask for their help? And they will keep it in confidence, but seek to walk with you. Sometimes we need to speak out our sin so that its power over us may be broken. And maybe you need to do that. Would you today, this week, call up the pastors and just confess and ask their help. So Father, we pray and we thank you for your word that so deeply cuts and divides between bone and marrow and we're left speechless. We just know that you're spoken even as you have today. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you and God bless you.